forward with our sermon this morning. Um, I want to give a couple of uh, introductory comments. We have been in the book of Ruth uh, for several weeks now. Um, and I want to take the time to, to kind of help you understand the way your pastor interprets the Bible and the way I want to uh, encourage you to interpret your Bible is that not everything, you know, a lot of the times when you hear Old Testament preaching, um, you will hear uh, Old Testament preaching uh, basically as one big extended metaphor. What do I mean? Um, you will either hear it of this person's a good guy, be like the good guy, this person's a bad guy, don't be like the bad guy, and that's pretty much the end of the sermon. Um, that's not the way I want to handle it. Because um, the Bible's not about good guys and bad guys. There's only one good guy in the Bible. His name is Jesus, and everybody else is bad guys. Um, so that, that's, not, that's not a good way to handle it. Um, and then sometimes you'll hear somebody read the Old Testament, and, 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 and you will take a story like we'll see in Ruth today and say, Oh, well, you've got Boaz and the grain, and, and, and the grain is God's goodness. That, 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 and Boaz is Jesus, and Boaz sends us home with more goodness than we can carry. Now, I don't, I don't want to give a metaphor. Um, I want you to look at this passage today. I want us to be able to look at where we are in Ruth, which we're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. What verse? All of it. Um, and, and I want us to learn today not about some metaphor, not about some uh, illustration. I want us to learn the way God treats those who have put their faith solely in Him. I want us to see the way that God treats those who have put their faith solely in Him. So if you would stand with me out of the respect for the reading of God's Word, we will be in chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. Chapter 2, verse 1. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, It's been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and mother in the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. 
Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat the piece of bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. Father, pray that you bless this word and you teach us about yourself from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we, we've, uh, I've tried to title a, each sermon over or, or to kind of sum up what, what was going on in the passage, and I've named today uh, uh, Happenstance and Husband Material, um, because we get a new character today, and his name is Boaz, and Boaz is going to be very, 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 very important for the rest of this redemption story of Ruth. See, Boaz was exactly what Ruth and Naomi needed at that time in their lives, and he was uniquely qualified to meet their greatest needs. Uh, from this, as Christians, what we can do today is we can learn that Jesus is exactly what every single one of us needs at any time in our lives, and he is uniquely qualified to meet our greatest needs. See, Ruth left the land that she came from. She left Moab. She left everything that she knew, everything that she had going for her. She left her mother. She left her father. She left her social status. She left her entire life. And she came, in the words of Boaz, to seek refuge under the wings of Yahweh, under the wings of the Lord, under the wings of the God of the Bible. She comes with Naomi into Israel, completely and totally dependent on the goodness of the God of Israel to take care of her and her mother-in-law. When God, when someone puts their faith in God and says, God, you're it. I'm dependent on you. When you go to God and you say, I am coming to you for salvation. I'm coming to you for forgiveness from sins. Jesus, I cannot do this on my own. I'm leaving everything behind that I've had before. I'm coming under your wings for refuge. How does God treat us? Should we be afraid? Should we be scared? Should we say, God's not going to want anything to do with me because I know, what, I know where I've been, I know where I'm from, I know what kind of person I am. How is God going to react when I try to come under his wings for refuge? Is God going to accept me when I call on Jesus? And the answer is yes, 
God is going to accept you when you call on Jesus. You don't need to be afraid and run from him. You need to run to him joyfully. So we're going to look at how God redeems, how God sends a redeemer. And we're going to look at a case study in Boaz. But remember throughout all this that Jesus is the greater Boaz. Jesus is the greater redeemer that God has sent us. That uh, Jesus is, is more of a redeemer and more of a provider than Boaz could have ever hoped to be. So first I want us to look at, starting in verse 1, that God's redeemer possesses the resources to save. Now, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, we're told there was a relative of Naomi's husband a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ladies, this is the introduction in this book of what you would call hubby material. Uh, this is going to be, he is going to be a very, very, very important character for multiple reasons. Um, th we're going to talk about Ruth a lot in this chapter, but it's interesting that this chapter starts with a, a mention of Boaz. Some facts about Boaz that we get from the text. He is a relative of Naomi's husband. And then toward the end of the verse, he is of the family of Elimelech. This is a very important distinction. The whole of this book turns on the fact that Boaz is a relative, a close relative of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. And about the second part of this verse, a man of great wealth. If you're reading in the New King James like I am, that's what you see. But if you're reading in the English Standard Version, it says he is a worthy man. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says uh, he is a prominent man of noble character. The New International Version says that Boaz is a man of standing. That is because you've got kind of an ambiguous phrase, if you were to read this in the original language. Yes, it can mean that he is wealthy. Uh, the reason that they defaulted to he is wealthy is because this phrase is actually, you want to talk about God planning things to line up. I didn't even know that our Sunday school lesson was going to be here today when I planned a sermon for this morning. But these were the words that God used to describe Gideon. Mighty man of valor. What's funny is that when God uses these words about Gideon, he's hiding in a wine press. But God refers to Gideon as a mighty man of valor. These are the same words that the author of Ruth uses to describe Boaz. But you don't see Boaz out fighting. You don't see him wielding a sword. You don't see him on the battlefield. So they default to another meaning of this, that he is a noble man. He is a man of standing. He is a man of great wealth. So they say, they go to the wealth because they say, well, it doesn't really fit this heroic definition of this phrase. I strongly disagree with the commentators that say Boaz is not all that heroic. Um, you are going to see Boaz do some very heroic things today. But don't get it twisted. Guy's also loaded. He is rich. And that's important too. Okay? Um, that's going to be important for this story, that Boaz is a noble man of great character, but he is also rolling in it. Um, he is a very, very wealthy man. 
So verse 2, Ruth the Moabitess says to Naomi, Let me go into the field and glean the heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And Naomi releases her to go. What Ruth is doing is Ruth is availing herself of what God had provided his people in the law. God knew that there were going to be weak and, and poor and needy people in society, particular particularly exactly the kind of folks that Ruth and Naomi are. They're widows. In this day and age, um, the husband or the son or the man of the house would have been the sole source of income. They would have been the sole property owner. So to be widowed was to be destitute. That there was, that they really didn't have hope of earning a living. So God provided in his law, and I didn't put this on your handout, in Leviticus 23, 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So basically, this is the barley harvest. When you go out and you harvest your field, God says what you need to do is you need to leave the corners of your field. You need to just round them off. So that if there are any widows or any strangers or any poor, they can come into your field and they can glean those corners. This was ancient Israelite uh, uh, government assistance, if you will. That this was decreed by God, all right, you got this whole big field. What I want you to do is I want you to just leave the corner so if somebody's poor and somebody's hungry, if they'll just come out here and grab it, there's, there's, there's stuff for them there. You leave this for them. And Ruth, you remember, she's left Moab. She's become an Israelite. She's operating like an Israelite. She's a stranger. She's poor. She's a widow. So she's going to go out and she's going to avail herself of gleaning in the corners. And while she's out gleaning in verse 3, don't you love the way that the author of the Bible, the, of this part of the Bible says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who just as a reminder was of the family of Elimelech. She just happened to come into Boaz's field. Out of every field she could have walked in, she walks into Boaz's field. Then in verse 4, Boaz shows up. Listen to this guy. This should give you some insight into his character. He walks in, the first words out of his mouth to his reapers, the Lord be with you. Wouldn't it be nice if your boss walked in and we saw you and he said, the Lord bless you. That was the way he greeted you. That would just make you happy. And you'd probably respond to him a lot like his reapers did. And they answered, the Lord bless you. It's, it's not a real bad boss who his first greeting to you is, the Lord bless you. I hope that God is giving you a great day today. I hope that he's just pouring out his mercy on you. It's hard to hate that guy. Boaz walks in. That's the way he greets his workers, and his workers respond in kind. Now let's look at this, and let's look at a few things about Boaz that we can see in this. Look at how he greets his workers. Look at how his workers respond to him. Look at the fact he has workers. He's not just out in the field, just him and his sons, if he has any. He's got employees. He's got people on the payroll. Remember I told you, this guy is rich. He's got people on the payroll. And then go down to verse 5. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reaper, he's got managerial staff. He's, not, he's got enough workers that he can't even manage it all by himself. 
He's got to have somebody to work watching over his workers. And then he says, whose young woman is this? Despite the fact that he is this wealthy, he's got this many workers, he's got managerial staff whose job it is to watch his workers, he's, he's concerned enough about what goes on with his workers in his field that he notices when somebody not normal shows up. He's observant. He's detailed. This is, this is the guy, he's clean cut, he shows up, there is never a fuzzy on his suit. He is, de he, he is on top of stuff. Boaz is about as clean-cut, respectable of a good guy as you could hope for. So the worker uh, tells him uh, in verse 6, So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, It's the young Moabite. Boaz, you remember hearing about this Moabite? One? You remember hearing Naomi came back? Yeah, I do. You remember hearing the Moabites came back with her? Yeah, I do. This is her. And it's almost like at this point, this is the only time Boaz hears about Ruth. And it's like the, the light bulb goes on and goes, oh, I know who we're talking about now. The, reap, the servant uh, references uh, her leaving Moab to become an Israelite. Uh, she's gleaning among the sheaves. She's operating like an Israelite. And then listen, that he, he sees fit to put this in there. So she came and has continued from the morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. That She's a tough cookie. She's been working all day. She took like a short little break, but she's going. She's, she's, she knows they need food, so she's out here working. Why is she out here doing this? Because Ruth and Naomi needed some very specific things. Okay, let's get, let's get into the text here. Remember, I'm not teaching this as a metaphor. This is a real thing that happened. Ruth and Naomi had some very specific needs. That Ruth is probably in dire need of protection. And we're going to see that in just a little bit. That she has left her homeland. She has left everything that was security for her. She needs protection. She needs somebody to look out for her. Naomi needs someone to provide. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. Her daughter-in-law, the only young person in the house, is a foreigner who needs protection. Neither of them, neither of them have a, a quote-unquote job to speak of. The, the, the society is different now than it was then. It's not like you just go out and you, you, you know, turn your resume in and you go get a job. Uh, they couldn't do that. They needed food or they were going to starve. And what exactly does Ruth come upon? She just happens to walk in the field of somebody who is willing to protect her, to look out to her, that is related to her mother-in-law, that is therefore also related to her deceased husband, who is rich and has a field full of food. That is just a check. You check off the boxes on your list that God sent Ruth and Naomi someone that perfectly provided for everything that they needed. That's a pretty good God. That God is not ignorant of the needs of his people. God is not ignorant of your needs. He's not dissociated. If you think Boaz is detailed... God knows that God, Boaz knew everybody in his field, but I know a God who knows the number of the hairs on your head. Boaz owned the field. God owns the planet. 
that Boaz had workers and managerial staff to look over his workers. Do you know that, that not a sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing about it? Do you know that God speaks and the earth shakes? That God's greater than Boaz, but when Ruth and Naomi needed a redeemer, God sent them a redeemer who had exactly what they needed. So what about us? We have someone greater than Boaz. Boaz had the money and the field and the workers and the protection and the food. That was Ruth and Naomi's needs. What's our needs? Do you understand that this morning, if you are under the sound of my voice, there is something in your life called sin. And that sin has destroyed the relationship between you and God. That you are alienated from Him. You are a foreigner more than Ruth was to God. That your relationship from God is more broken than Ruth's relationship with Israel would have been as a Moabite. Do you know that you have no resources to your own name that you could take to God and say, this is good enough to heal us? That no, your sin stands as an uncrossable gulf between you and God if all you have is your own resources. You need somebody who has something to pay that debt, to bridge that gap. You need a redeemer with resources that you don't have. I know one. His name's Jesus. You can look on your handout. Look at Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That The Old Testament sacrifices couldn't cut it. You can't offer a bull big enough and clean enough to satisfy God. You can't offer enough money to satisfy God. You can't offer enough service to satisfy God. What you can offer is your faith in what Jesus did offer that was good enough. You don't have enough righteousness to give God. Jesus did. Your blood's not good enough. Jesus is was. You have nothing to bring to God. If you ever find yourself, but look out, this is, this is me too. If you ever find yourself going, geez, I got a lot to offer God, stop. Just quit it. No, you don't. You don't have anything to offer God. If you got it, where'd you get it from? This is like a kid buying their parents presents with their allowance money. You know, they, they didn't earn that money. They got it from their parents. It belongs to their parents. You can't give anything back to God that God can't get on his own better and more than you could give him. Jesus is the one with the resources. He had the righteousness you couldn't hope to have. His blood was sufficient, whereas yours is not. No one else's is. You need a redeemer with resources, and Jesus is the one that has it. 
Then look at 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, the righteous one, that God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to earth. God the Son who knew no sin, who was spotless, who was perfectly righteous. God sent him to earth. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That God made a way for you to obtain righteousness that you do not have and cannot obtain on your own. Do you know that to stand before God, you've got to be perfect? Not good, not try hard. If you're going to try and live a good life and then take your chances with quote-unquote the man upstairs when you get there, that ain't going to work well for you. If you're going to stand before God and have Him look favorably on you, you've got to be perfect. Which should probably cause us all to be shaken in our boots because we know we can't be. So how do you stand before God in perfect righteousness? The blood of Jesus. That God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us on the cross. That all of your sin, all of your wickedness, all of your evil that separates you from God, God laid on His Son Jesus on the cross. And all of Jesus' righteousness, God lays on and imputes to us. That Jesus is the Redeemer with resources. He's got what you need to solve your problem. Jesus did, we're not talking about grain and money and fields right now. I'm talking about the blood of Jesus and righteousness of God that he gives us. A redeemer with resources. So when God sends a redeemer for you, he'll send a redeemer to meet your greatest need, which is you need God's righteousness. You need redemption and forgiveness. And God sent a redeemer with those resources. Second, when God sends a redeemer, God's redeemer possesses the grace to save. Why did I say God's redeemer possesses the grace to save? Well, think just a second about Boaz. <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. The law required Boaz to leave the corners of his field for Ruth to glean in. So if he leaves the corners of his field for Ruth to glean in, has he really done anything commendable? No. He hadn't done anything special. He did what was required of him by the law. But that's not all Boaz did. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? What Boaz is doing when he calls her as a daughter is he's probably indicating that there's a significant age difference between the two. Boaz is probably an older man. He says, listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go and glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Ruth, stay here where I know you'll be safe. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Can you imagine what that would have meant to Ruth to hear that? Moabites had a reputation for being promiscuous. Everybody knew Ruth was a Moabite. So Boaz is saying, hey, I will make you a personal guarantee, Ruth, that if you will stay in my field, not a single man is going to lay a hand on you. You'll be safe here. He put the first anti-harassment workplace policy in place. Ruth, I guarantee you, you will be safe 
if you're here. I'm looking out for you. My women are watching you. My men are watching you protectively. I'm going to make sure you stay safe here. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. This right here, you're going to see Ruth react to this. This is out of the ordinary. Normally, foreigners would be the ones drawing water for locals, and women would be the one drawing water for men. But what does Boaz tell her to do? You're a foreigner, and I know it. I want you to go draw from the water that my young men have drawn. That on two accounts, culturally, she, she's, get, she's getting a privilege. That he's going above and beyond. He didn't have to give her water. He didn't have to go the extra length to protect her. He didn't have to give her safety amongst his maidservants. He didn't have to do any of that. All he had to do was go, all right, well, I left the grain in the corners. Did what I had to do. But he doesn't. He goes over and beyond. And what does Ruth do? She responds by falling on her face in verse 10, bowing down to the ground and says to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? She knows that, that she's not technically qualified for this kind of, of generosity. She knows this. She knows that she should be on the outside looking in, but she's getting treated like an insider. She understands that what she's getting is outside the norm. It's grace. Wednesday night in, in, in youth, I showed the youth an acrostic for grace that explains what grace is. Because we, you, you know, we, we can be real bad about speaking Christianese. Using words in church that we use all the time. But if an outsider comes in and the word's never been defined, they have no idea what we're talking about. You ever tried to share the gospel with somebody? Don't use the word sanctification. It's a real thing. It's important. But they're probably going to go, sanctification, yeah. I have no idea what that means. Justification, glorification. Just, no, don't do that. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Getting what we don't deserve. Ruth realizes, Boaz is giving me some stuff I don't deserve. Why are you doing this? Listen to Boaz's explanation, starting in verse 11. It's been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Boaz says this is apparently a very notable thing she has done. What has she done specifically? Remember, this is her first day in the field. This is her first day working. It's not like there's a long list of things that we have recorded in Scripture that she's done. So what has she done? How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and come to a people you did not know before. Ruth, you left everything behind to go with Naomi. What you did makes no logical sense. But you did it because you loved her. And Boaz says, I noticed this. I've seen this. I know of this. I admire this. Ruth leaving Moab to come home with Naomi made quite an impression on Boaz. And he understood the incredible step of faith that she made in doing this. How do I know Boaz viewed it as a step of faith? Faith. Listen to what he says next in verse 12. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz understood that Ruth was not just throwing herself on the mercy of the people. 
You remember what Ruth said to Naomi earlier in, in, in chapter 1? Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. She's swearing in the name of the Lord like a good Israelite would if they're going to take an oath. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. If God's going to turn me away, he's going to have to do it by killing me. If I live, it's going to be because God allows me to live. If I die, it'll be because he allowed me to die. But from this moment on, I'm no longer a Moabite. I'm an Israelite. I will live like an Israelite. I will live with the Israelites. I will live with you, Naomi. And Boaz knew this. That she didn't just leave her people, she left her old gods. And she has come to the God of Israel and has come under his wings for refuge. And Boaz says, I'm praying that God will honor that. And Boaz is acting in accordance with that. That if you come under the wings of the Lord for refuge, if you are one of us, then dear goodness, I'm going to treat you like one. God, God, I'm praying for God to reward you for your faith, and I'm going to treat you that way. And he blesses Ruth. And Ruth responds and thanks him. Let me find favor in your sight, for you've comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. And then it comes to mealtime. And he gives her bread and gives her uh, vinegar to dip her bread in. He feeds her lunch. And he gives her enough for her to have leftovers. Then at the beginning of the day, she and Naomi are starving and have no idea where they're going to get food. Now she's got a doggy bag to take it home. She's got leftovers. And when she rose up to green, to, to, to green, when she rose up to glean, listen to what Boaz does. He commands his men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. He tells his servants, hey, Ruth, the Moabitess, let her come out of the corners. Let her glean in the rest of the field. Treat her like she's one of you. Don't treat her like a foreigner. Don't treat her like a stranger. Don't treat, treat her like a widow, like, like someone who's destitute. Let her glean in the fields. Let her come in there with you. And then second, verse 16, also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Boaz is now taking a personal financial hit to make sure that Ruth and Naomi have food. Hmm. A self-sacrificing redeemer who takes someone from the outside and starts treating them like their own on the basis of them placing their faith in the God of the Bible and leaving behind the life that they had before to find refuge under his wings. That sounds really familiar. Sounds like Jesus. Sounds like Jesus. That Jesus is the gracious redeemer who if you will just leave your old life and your old gods behind and you will come to him and say, I am throwing myself wholly on your mercy. Then Jesus will take you from the outside and treat you, he will make you an insider. He won't give you just the subsistence, he'll give you more than you've ever dreamed. He doesn't just give the minimum, he gives press down, shaking up and running over. That Jesus goes above and beyond. He is a gracious, generous redeemer. Do you know that if you obey 
the law perfectly. Look at this. Think, think of it this way. Think of it like traffic law, all right? If you go 55 miles an hour on the highway, what does that obligate the police to do for you? It obligates the police to ignore you. They're never going to stop you and pull you over and give you an award for driving the speed limit. They're going to ignore you. All obeying the law requires God to do for you is ignore you. Obeying the law doesn't entitle you to some kind of congratulations or blessing or God giving you some special award. That's what you're expected to do. But grace... You know, if you obey the law perfectly, it requires God just to not punish you. When I say requires, I mean that's just that that's his stipulations. That disobedience requires a punishment. Obedience is just is expected. That doesn't require a reward. But if you are disobedient, yet God provides a method to bless you in Christ, that if you'll just leave behind your old life and you'll come to me, not only will I forgive your sin. I won't just bring you back up to zero. I'll put you in the green. I'll give you an inheritance among my people. I'll give you the guarantee of glory. I'll give you the promise of a resurrection body. I'll give you the promise of a new creation where everything's all right. I'll give you the promise of me. Grace over and abundant and beyond anything you could ever hope and dream for. Just because, God, why would God do that? Because he's good and he wants to. There's not some law somewhere that God read. He's like, oh no, I've got to be generous to these people. I don't want to be generous to them. He's God. He can do what he wants. And you know what he has and what he wanted to do was love you. He wanted to redeem you. Listen to this. If you're sitting here today going, there is no way God could want anything to do with me. Hopefully this will bless you. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. You ever prayed something to God like that? God, if you're willing, you can... You can you can fix me. God, if you're willing, you can, you can make right what's wrong with me. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. This man was a leper. All Jesus had to do if he wanted to heal him was speak. But what does Jesus do? Jesus is moved with compassion and reaches out and touches him and tells him, I am willing to make you clean. Do you know that Jesus is not only able to show grace to you, he's willing to. He wants to. He doesn't just have the resources, he has the will. He's waiting on you to ask. And then this is mind blowing. Y'all, I'm about to have church all by myself up here with this next verse. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy... Boaz is rich in grain. Thank God. He, God's rich in mercy. 
because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? Why did he do this? Why did God do this to us? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God saved you so he could be good to you. God didn't save you because he needed your help. God didn't save you because he was lonely. God didn't save you because, oh, heaven's just so empty. No! He's got legions and legions and legions of angels that do nothing but sing his praises day in and day out. And I feel like an angel could probably sing better than me. I never, I never read in Scripture anywhere where an angel coughed and had to get a bottle of Dasani because his throat was bothering him. God doesn't need us. God saves us because he wants to. He sent Jesus because he loves you. Because he wants you. I told you a couple weeks ago, it's a mind-blowing thought that God doesn't just love you. He actually likes you. This is part two of that. That God didn't save you because he needs you. He saved you because for all of eternity, he wants to show his kindness to you. For all of eternity, God's going to be going, hey, watch this. Let me do something else amazing for you to see, for you to experience. You place your faith in Jesus, that's the eternity you have to look forward to. An ever-increasing wonder at the glory, majesty, goodness, grace, mercy, and the riches of God. That's your eternity if you would just place your faith in Jesus. He saved you because he wants to be good to you. God's Redeemer possesses the grace to save. He is willing to and he wants to. And then finally, God's Redeemer possesses the qualification to save. Uh, long story short, verse 17, Ruth ends up with a lot of grain. Uh, depending on how you want to measure it and what measurement you use, she comes home with between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. Um, now, understand that this is a lot because most of the time gleaning is you would go and pick up just little pieces that were left over in the corners. Uh, immediately upon getting home, this is obvious to Naomi, Ruth has not been picking up little pieces. She has between 30 and 50 pounds of barley in a day. And later on you're going to see she stays there for the whole harvest. They're not hurting for food anymore. So uh, Naomi sees her and, and says, Where have you gleaned Today, where did you work? And blessed be the one who took notice of you. She said, you did not do this on your own. Somebody's helping you out. Somebody had to, you had to catch somebody's eye. Who'd you, who saw you? And Naomi and Ruth, in just blissful ignorance, she says, the man's name whose field I worked in today is Boaz. And if this is an old silent movie, this is where Naomi starts laughing maniacally and twirling her finger in her handlebar mustache and the wheels start turning in her head and she goes, oh, Boaz, huh? 
I said, I like Boaz. Boaz is a good guy. You need to stay in that field. Don't you go anywhere else. You hear me? You stay in that field, Ruth. Okay, why? She said, blessed be he who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. That the fact that Boaz is taking care of Ruth is both a kindness to Ruth's deceased husband and a kindness to Naomi's deceased husband. And she says, this man is a relation of ours, a close relative. Why is that important? Deuteronomy 25, 5 and 6. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son... A widow of the dead man shall not be married to a stranger outside the family. Her husband's brother shall go into her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. That because he is a close relative of Elimelech, because he fulfills this qualification, Naomi has something that she hasn't had for most of the book, hope. That maybe, just maybe, if Boaz will exercise his qualifications, Ruth, you could end up with a son. We could end, our family line may not die. Our family might be saved. We might not be broke. That's not a joke. They were legitimately worried about their subsistence, whether or not they were going to live. That all of a sudden, Naomi sees in Boaz. He could be the solution. He is uniquely qualified to do what nobody else could do. So she says, you stay in that field. Ruth said, he told me to stay by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi says, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. You stay right there. You do what the nice man told you to do, Ruth. You stay in that field. Why? This is, this is a quote from, a, from one of the, the commentaries I was reading behind, the, the, the New American Commentary, and I, I think it summed it up pretty well. Ruth's chance arrival at the field of Boaz is providential on two accounts. First, as the following episode will demonstrate, Boaz was a gracious man in who, whose eyes Ruth would find favor. Second, he was from the same clan as Ruth's deceased father-in-law, Elimelech. In order for God's plan to be fulfilled, both elements had to be present. In long-range terms, the line of David, which, by the way, Ruth is part of, would not be preserved if the man at whose field Ruth arrived in was gracious, but from outside the clan. He could not have functioned as a kinsman redeemer, preserving the name and family of the deceased. On the other hand, the line would also not have been served if Ruth had found the field of her deceased husband and father-in-law's kinsman, but he turned out to be a rogue, shooing off aliens, orphans, and widows. In the providence of God, the man she meets is indeed a gracious near kinsman. So she ends up in Boaz's field. If he wasn't related to Elimelech, but he was gracious to her, good, you have food, but your family line's still dying out because he's not qualified to redeem you. Or she shows up in Boaz's field and he is qualified to redeem her, but he could not care less. Your family line's done. But wouldn't you know it, just as it would happen, Boaz happens to be qualified to redeem her 
and he happens to have a hedge fund and be generous. God seems to have just worked this out. He is uniquely qualified. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, that's us, we're human, we have flesh and blood, if you don't, call a doctor. He himself, who? Jesus, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Do you know that the reason Jesus took on flesh and blood was so that he could be qualified to save you? That he knows what it's like to be human? He knows what it's like to be tempted Listen to this in verses 17 and 18 in the same chapter of Hebrews. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Do you know that Jesus is uniquely qualified to redeem you? Do you know that if you were to find another good person who might be willing to die for you, to say, you know what, I got this problem between me and God, and I'm a bad person, I need a good person to die and pay the penalty for it. Do you know nobody else could do that? Because they have their own penalty they owe. They have their own sin. They can't die for yours. If they die, they're going to die for theirs. They can't die in your place. Do you know that it took someone who was uniquely qualified to die on the cross for you? That's why Jesus was the only one who could do it. Humanity had to be judged for sin, so the Redeemer had to be a human. But he couldn't take the penalty for your sin if he had sin of his own. So he had to be perfect. Jesus is uniquely qualified. So here's your application. Here's what you take home from this. God has given you a uniquely qualified Redeemer who has the resources, His blood, His righteousness, and the grace, His willingness to save you if you will just leave your old gods, your old life behind and come under His wings for refuge. There's your take home. If you're here and you're lost today and you say, you know what, you, there, there is a gap between me and God. There is an issue you can't fix it. Jesus can. You got an opportunity. Preston's going to lead us in a couple verses. You can come up here and talk to me. Uh, I'll be glad to set up a time. We, we can talk after church or we can set up an appointment later. I want a chance to share the gospel with you and talk with you. Make sure you understand that. You got a guest card on the side of your bulletin. You can fill that out and put that in the offering plate. If you're a visitor, that would be your gift to us. We don't want your money. I'd rather you know Jesus. Fill that out, put that in the offering plate, I'll follow up with you. Catch me at the back door. Do, do something, but don't leave here and not know Jesus if he's calling you. Christian, if you already know Jesus, you just need to revel in that fact that you have a gracious, resourced Redeemer who is in your corner. He loves you. I'm going to pray. You need to come, you come. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for a chance for uh, uh, us to hear your word, for us to to dwell on the fact that we have a gracious, loving Redeemer. Um, Lord, that you sent Jesus for us. And I pray if there's anybody in here who doesn't know him, that in the person of your Holy Spirit, you would convict them and draw them to yourself. Lord, for believers in here, encourage them and remind them of who it is that has saved them and the lengths he went to do it. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.